Hello and welcome to the Total Quidditch Podcast, a place where we talk to the people who make Quidditch what it is and give them an opportunity to share their stories and experiences of the sport. I'm Fraser and I'll be your host. Following an epic return to elite European Quidditch with EQC Division 2 in April and EQC Division 1 in June, it's now time to look ahead to the third and final major European international tournament of the year, IQA European Games 2022. Next week, the best Quidditch players from across Europe, plus a couple of special guests, will descend on the grounds of the University of Limerick campus in Limerick, Ireland, funnily enough. 20 teams duking at the European champion. Will France retain the title they won in 2018 and claim their third EG crown overall? Will Belgium make that step up from silver medalists to finally grab the gold? Will the newly rebranded England win a second title, having won as the UK in Oslo back in 2017? Or will we see another country go all the way to the final and take that all-important top spot on the podium? Join me in this, our 47th episode of the pod, our two excellent guests. Returning for her second appearance on the pod is Emma Humphrey, aka Jandals, an international player for New Zealand in 2018 and now for Scotland in 2022. And making her debut appearance on the pod, member of the World Cup 2018 and European Games 2018 runners-up, the Belgian Griffins, it's Suzanne Fisher. Good evening, how are you all doing? Oh, thanks for having us back. Well, thanks for having me back. It's been uh, it's great fun. Looking forward to uh, imparting a lot of ill ill-advised wisdom onto uh, unsuspecting listeners. <laughs> it's a very good uh, w- way of summing up this episode, I think. Just off the bat, right there. <laughs> yes. So you're gonna. This is the. If you've got your fantasy Quidditch bets, this is where you need to be placing your money tonight. <laughs> Yeah, just just a yeah. little bit of a informal chat to guide us into the tournament. Uh, unfortunately, Suzanne, you won't be joining us in Ireland next week, but uh, I believe you've no. been training with the Griffins recently, so uh, have a bit of insider knowledge regarding them, I guess. <laughs> Definitely. I'm not going to tell everything, of course. I cannot uh, give away uh, the secrets yet. <laughs> exactly. There's uh, certain information that uh, will stay hidden until... Uh, a week or so's time. All our uh, new secret tactics, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Right, shall we jump into it, I guess? Um, just starting off looking at the historical aspect of this tournament, the European Games. Um, so I believe all of us have been to European Games before. Um, yes. But yeah, what, what would we say our favourite memories of EG as a tournament? Um, I already think that's a difficult question because my memories of EG weren't that good. <laughs> um, as a, yeah, I think EG 2019 was quite painful for Belgium. Um, the tournament as itself, I think, was very well organized, uh, but it was very hot, I remember. Um, I, even World Cup in Italy was already burning hot, but I think EG was even worse. Uh, we had a runner for water, we had uh, umbrellas, but uh, I, I remember everybody was really cooked at the end of the day. Mm. Yeah, well, my, I I had a slightly different experience. I was a volunteer at, at EG. I was on the uh, uh, live stream commentating and I just moved to Europe at that point. I'd only been fresh off the boat, I'd only been around for a couple of months. Um, so I figured the best way to kind of really get stuck in was just to be at the center of all the volunteering. And yeah, I had a great time. Uh, 
I do agree with you though on the heat. I actually had to go to the ambulance, I think, to get a drip put in because I'd suffered from heat stroke and I dressed yeah. appropriately. I took heaps of water and even me just coming straight from 36 to 40 degree Australia, I thought I'd be fine. It was not okay. It was <laughs> unbelievably ter- hot uh, yeah. in Bamberg, I think it was. Um, but yes. I think we won't, we won't quite have the same issues in Ireland. I think... Uh, um, commentators yeah, curse. <laughs> yeah, the, the weather is is quite usually rainy on that side of the country, I believe. So we we're more likely to experience some light drizzle, maybe some humid light drizzle, than uh, anything too sort of very dry and hard and hot. But mm. that's perfect British weather. Uh, let's be honest. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I remember during during my commentary stint uh, EQC, I was commentate, commenting on how. I think that EQC was the only EQC I've been to where there's been rain. Um, and that was also like the latest one as well. Like that was in June rather than like earlier in, in the in the year. So, uh, yeah, I think it, well, certainly recently, where was we like in the UK? And I don't know about the rest of Europe, but we'll probably welcome a little bit of that during the weekend. Who knows? Yeah, no, don't worry. I really enjoyed last EG, though. Team Germany, I think, had the best uh, cooling down strategy. Um, I saw people with little portable fans. I saw people, you know, dipping headbands in icy buckets of water. But you know those uh, those pesticide things that you can get for doing your garden? They're like these big 20-litre ah, buckets, and they have a big handle. With a and a nozzle, handle. Yeah. Like a spray. <laughs> so someone had the genius idea to get one of those and bring it to the pitches in Germany and just all the German players when they were doing their team huddles were just having this light mist they had their own portable water fountain like a sprinkler they were using to hose everyone down constantly I thought that was genius whoever came up with that idea team Scotland are definitely uh, copying (laughs) you uh, because anything uh, anything above 10 degrees is hot for us so uh, we're going to need it you can hear all the national team coaches just scribbling away right now (laughs) making notes (laughs) Yeah, I remember that the heat was that intense that also as a player it was quite difficult to stay on pitch for a long time. You really had to sub more often. Uh, I think it was definitely an extra challenge for people with small rosters uh, because the heat really made you play well or made your play more tiring and you had to sub and you had to drink and also just for um, having enough food and water at the right moments. It was like an extra challenge. Mm. Yeah, it certainly sounds quite difficult um, in terms of playing conditions. I think as a, um, an outsider, I was I was in America at the time, uh, so I didn't go to the last EG. But uh, from the outside looking in, it looked like a really well organized tournament. Yeah. Um, and like lots of really competitive play. I mean, on day one, you had the French losing to Norway and then mm. Belgium losing to Germany. Like all, all these kind of really close games. Uh, I think Austria were very close sort of in, in range with Germany as well. Um, yeah, a very tight bracket play as well. Yeah, I remember Belgium also having quite some difficulties with Austria uh, the first day. And then again, Germany was, yeah, we lost definitely. Um, so I think the first day was full of surprises. Now when I'm looking at uh, the groups, I don't think we'll have that many surprises. It will not be like EG 2019. Mm-hmm. Interesting take. Uh, one thing I really liked about uh, last EG that I saw was the the youth Quidditch, which um, was the right. parts of the Germany game. Like if we can bring that back for future editions of the tournament, that would be incredible. Like yeah, it was also really yeah. nice to support the kids at the sideline and to see that they actually really know how to play the game. 
uh, was quite cute. <laughs> yeah. To me, I also really enjoyed the uh, the team the actual the team Germany at the time came to support the youth team Germany as well. So they were all coming out to support, and they had the crowd all cheering, and like they had their guitars out and their instruments out as Team Germany usually do. I hope they're bringing uh, the instruments this time um, to this, uh, or maybe bringing just a boombox, whatever will fit in a suitcase. Yeah, it's like it's um, like that that adds like the atmosphere of a tournament, isn't it? So yeah. all those extra things are yeah, pretty valuable for the experience. I also remember remember Albert from Titans um, being a very different coach with the children than he is with his own team. It's like <laughs> <laughs> who is that chef called again that is all, always yelling on TV, but he also has like a kids program. Oh, uh, Gordon, uh, Gordon Ramsay. Yeah. Yeah. It was a bit similar, <laughs> I think. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, good, good comparison there. I mean, yeah. for me, my only experience of EG so far was uh, 2017 in Oslo, um, which I, I still remember very fondly as one of my favourite tournaments um, back yeah. when I was playing with Spain. And yeah, it was just really cool to go to Norway because, like, if you know anything about Norway as a country, it's absolutely stunning place. Um, and I've never really had an excuse to go and visit before. Um, so it was per perfect timing in that respect, um, and like sort of great surroundings. And yeah, it was a really kind of closely fought tournament. Um, and yeah, a, a little bit of rain on day one. But then, yeah, the rest of the time is pretty pleasant because obviously with Norway being quite northern, had a bit of a breeze there. So not quite as warm as Bamberg. I went there uh, as, a, as a, a supporter. Um, oh, right. Because at that time I wasn't playing Quidditch yet, so it was like the first time I saw Quidditch on a on a good level, and then it was made me it made me exciting excited to play. Like after uh, watching EG and Oslo, I really decided, okay, I want to do this sport, I want to try this. Um, and I also remember it was on a brilliant location. You had like this tram ride going up, and then you had a really oh, yeah. nice view, <laughs> and the pitches were also very well. And yeah, um, I really have fond memories of uh, EG and uh, and Oslo. Yeah. Did you play there, Fraser, as a as a player for Team UK? I uh, know we we were Spain because I was on my oh, year okay. abroad at the time. So uh, yeah, became Spanish for uh, a year. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Probably one of the whitest people to ever play for Spain, but uh, yeah, it was it was fun. <laughs> yeah, I assume I they don't have that many uh, blonde players as well. <laughs> Actually, I noticed that you're playing. Is it you? You're with Hong Kong this time at EG. I am. Yes, the, my the yeah. of my birth. So uh, yeah. one of the special guests I mentioned <laughs> beforehand. Fantastic. Well, no, I just wanted to, uh, I kind of wanted to, so you've played for Spain, you've played for, uh, you've played, you're going to play for Hong Kong, or I assume you've also previously played for Hong Kong. What yeah. other countries, countries have you got <laughs> in your skill set? Because I'm kind of cross-referencing you against other players who I know have played for three or four other teams yeah. as well. Yeah, that's no, just the two for me, unfortunately. Um, I, I was a reserve for the UK in 2015, uh, so just missed out there. Um, but yeah, as far as I can tell, they will be the only two, at least at least for now. Who knows? <laughs> you can we, still we, marry we into it. another country if you want to. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not purposely ticking them off. You know, <laughs> but, uh, too bad. Just just be in a case of happy circumstance, I guess. Um, so yeah, from like the European games that we've been to so far, like, are there any matches that particularly stand out? Any particular games that you're like, oh my god, that was brilliant? Uh, my favorite game of EG last EG 2018, because I've only been to the the one, was actually the Ireland versus Switzerland game. 
Um, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Um, they were both so aggressive and the tackle game was on point and it's something that you're not expecting these teams at all to be uh, confident doing, but they were just the, the intensity and that they were bringing it. And even, and this was sort of towards the end of, I think, day or beginning of day two. So it was very much kind of, it was definitely coming from some deep-seated place on both teams. They both had mascots. They both had instruments. The crowd was going nuts on both sides. Each side equally wanted their, um, their team, their side to win. And the game was so good. I can't actually remember who won. Which is <laughs> which, I just enjoyed won? the moment. Quidditch won. <laughs> Quidditch won in that moment. But yeah, that was my definitely my favourite game um, of all time. And I got to commentate that game as well with a fellow Australian. Right. So we cracked out the Aussie accents, confusing everyone watching the live screen. Um, for me, a game to watch uh, was definitely France-Norway. I think I was as happy as the Norwegian players when they won <laughs> in Bamberg. Um, I don't remember a lot of the game. I remember how happy I was. <laughs> um, and the game to play, yeah, was I think was the game against Germany, but the one we've won. So um, Belgium against Germany, on day one we lost, and on day two we won the game. And it was a really hard-fought, intense game, a lot of tackles, a lot of contact. Um, yeah, I don't think we won that game comfortably, uh, but, but I think both teams threw their hearts in, and um, it definitely felt special afterwards. And we were all very relieved when we won that game. I think Germany at EG 2019 was probably the best Germany we've seen yet. But I'm, of course, I haven't played against them at an other EG. Um, so I can't really compare, but it really felt like they could also have won EG uh, 2019. Mm, yeah, some good choices there. Um, good to just draw that distinction between like playing and watching as well. So I think for me, those two answers are quite different. Like playing wise, I think the one game that really jumps out to me was Spain versus Austria, day one of uh, EG 2017. Um, it's not necessarily about the game itself, but it's the story behind the game. Um, so basically, because the way the format worked then, we had these stat groups where it's like all the really good teams, top teams in Group A, then the mid-tier in Group B, and then the yeah. lower tier in Group C. So we're in Group B, kind of the, the mid-tier teams. So it was us, Germany, Austria, Catalonia, uh, and it's did I say it's Italy? Um, but yeah, there, there, there was that. That was kind of the mid-tier at the time. Um, so we beat Italy, uh, beat Catalonia, then we lost to Germany, um, and it's quite clear that at that point to us, Germany was going to top the group. But then mm -hmm. Germany had a bit of a bit of a scare, a bit of a shock when they lost to Austria in the, their next game, um, which kind of threw the group wide open. And then we had Austria to play in the, our final game. So I'm pretty sure it was Nadine, Nadine Cyrenek, who was the captain of Germany at the time. She came over to us and she's like, hey, guys, you got Austria next game. That'd be really good if you can help us out and, and beat them for us. Like, <laughs> if you guys beat Austria, we will throw you a free past the party in the evening and I she said that I was like okay that's a interesting proposition like I like free stuff I like free food <laughs> I was like winning so this is this is quite a good deal but I wasn't entirely sure if she was serious about it but then we, we play the game and it's, it's quite competitive quite close but in the end we kind of we pulled out the win 
um let me nice. go afterwards she goes pasta party like, yeah sure we get back to the hotel and uh it was germany and spain we were both staying in the same hotel having dinner together um and singing songs and being sociable and uh yeah it's amazing quite a bizarre nice. uh, entertaining experience for the tournament also just nice that they asked you to win and not to lose because that would have been weird but I mean, winning, it's, you don't need to do like in something weird for that. You want to win anyway. So the pasta party is just bonus. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. It's all, all bonuses. Uh, that definitely, I think, my fondest memory of that tournament. Um, yeah, sh sharing that moment with the German team. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I guess shows the, their lighter side, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, that that in terms of playing. But then in terms of watching a game, it's got to be that 2017 final between uh, the UK and France. Like, mm -hmm. that, like watching that game, like there was a real kind of ebb and flow to it. Like the UK started off pretty strong, got a couple of goals and then the French came back and it's sort of to and fro, to and fro, really even game. And it just comes down to the snitch play. And then after sort of a few minutes, Callum Lake gets the grab for the UK. And it's, yeah, it was just a brilliant advert for the sport, I thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah, these hard-fought games makes you feel so invested. I think that's why people can get so addicted to Quidditch as well. When it's close, it's always exciting. Um, yeah, when you're uh, when there's a difference of a hundred points, okay, then it gets boring. But when it's that close, then everybody screams their heart out when a goal is made, when something happens, when a good tackle happens, and that's how you get everyone excited. I love that. Yeah, definitely. And, especially, especially when there's a crowd as well. Like, yeah, yeah. I feel like that was one of the real pluses looking at the EG Seth for 2019, like having that big grandstand must yes. have been amazing for the final, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, because you really hear people scream and okay, at one moment you get in, like into a zone where you don't hear anything anymore, but it can definitely help sometimes. Uh, it also makes you quite nervous, I must say. <laughs> but um yeah, I have actually better memories of, for example, um, World Cup when it was then um, everyone was screaming for Belgium because no one wanted the Americans to win, I think. Um, and then it's quite clear that then you hear people make so much noise and they cannot be not moved by it. I mean, yeah, it's, it's very special. I never had that before. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. Like, obviously, like as an amateur sport, like it's something that I don't think many of us are used to. But it's mm -hmm. definitely a case of like it really improves a game. I think like there might be a case of like a I don't know a group play game where someone does an amazing thing, and like it's amazing, but maybe like a few of their teammates will react. But if that's a final, yeah. like it just gets elevated to another level. Like I remember um, at. Uh, EQC Division 2 back in April I was refereeing the third place playoff um, and just kind of being in the middle of that with everybody watching the game um, that you'd see like an amazing play happen and then I don't know say there's a point where one of the uh, Krakow Dragons beaters made this like amazing budget catch and everyone just goes oh and like makes this massive noise about this amazing play she's made um and then i think that must give like players a bit of confidence to go and make that next play and that next one just to get yeah. more moments yeah. like that yeah and also having the stands gives a very specific atmosphere like uh the first time i attended eqc was in uh, poffenhoven 
uh, in Germany. And it was the first time that I that I really saw that how um, how do you say it how, how real it could be. Like it's not only the sport we play, but there were also some, some German families with with kids and with beers and eating fries and people getting drunk and screaming and what was happening. And it really felt like, okay, this could also be football. I mean, people also get drunk and scream at the pitch and all of a sudden <laughs> strangers were doing that for the teams on the pitch and, and yelling and throwing beer. And I loved that. I loved how people were getting so invested and doing the same as they do with other sports. Well, if uh, England makes its top three, you're going to see something incredible in the crowd because <laughs> no one does Bev Squad like the like the British, I reckon. <laughs> Especially after EQC Div Two, that is, yeah, they definitely bring it out. But um, to add on to that, sort of, I was describing recently, like about the snitch play and the seeker play, and we happened to have football on at the time, and you know how in some football matches go to penalties, but some don't, and I said. Yeah. In an attempt to explain why the seeker game and the snitch game was important, I said, imagine you have football penalties at the end of every game. And that's exactly why we love keeping the snitch and the seeker play in, because you can sit there, you can watch the game for a good 20 minutes, things get warmed up, but everybody's eyes become fixated on the pitch once the snitch uh, and seekers come on. But it's not just that, because as I said earlier, there's a lot of pressure on the uh, seekers to catch. But it's also a team effort now. They've kind of made it a lot more inclusive um, by getting rid of the defensive seeking. Um, initially, I was against it, but now I'm a massive advocate for it because both teams are going for it. There's still a chance to, that you can stay in the game. Um, it's fantastic. I love it. I think uh, mm. so. That's that's how I sort of see it. It would be like taking away the penalties at the end of a football match. If you took away the seeking and the switching, you're taking away that kind of that rise, that high, that's like you you think you can push Quidditch to a certain level and then the snitch and the seeker game just adds this another layer of intensity to the crowd that you just don't experience in any other sport that I've seen. Mm. Actually, Emma, I really like your comparison. I think it's a very good one. But the thing is that I don't like penalties. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, yeah, just at like all. Uh, I think like it's a really stupid way to decide a game. And I, I feel the same about the snitch. I think the new MLQ, MLQ rules that we should actually adapt to those that really make the, the role of a snitch even smaller because sometimes it really feels like you could also just throw up a coin, you know, because in theory, what you're saying, I completely agree. I mean, the whole team needs to adapt. Um, it, it really puts a lot of pressure on your beaters. But if the snitch has one second of doubt or you have a coincidence and it's not like we have high quality snitches all the time. Um, it's just what happens because a lot of people who snitch also play uh, or you are tired because you have done uh, seven games in a row. Yeah, I don't think it's the best way to decide on the game. When it's so close, like uh, for example, the EQC final, when it's so close, uh, maybe we should not make a snitch catch decide what happens. But yeah, I know not many people agree, but also a lot of people, yeah. Do I, 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 it's funny that you ask that because I'm actually in the middle of writing a book <laughs> about <laughs> seeking and snitching. <laughs> what do you know? It's been in the backlog for ages. It's called the, the Snitching and Seeking Codex, and it's involved me watching through loads and loads and loads and loads of snitch catches and seeking. And so you're right. I fully agree with the sentiment that seeking and snitching, when not done, when you're coming into it completely blind, it's basically it's basically a coin toss but i think mm -hmm. 
there are certain people within the sport and when you know as much as I know and so that's why I'm writing it down is you have ways to tip it in your favor very slightly yeah. and I also there's think a, there's that a certain you, nuance to it isn't there there's also a certain level of quality I think it does tend to get sidelined a lot at trainings because most people don't want to practice seeking and seeking such a train uh seeking and stitching training um so that is another aspect to it um I think that you know the, the the whole concept of snitch when it matters is more of a term applied to the beaters than it is applied to the seekers um, so I do think I, I I live in hope that the sport will get better in terms of its seeking and snitching game I think give it another 10 years and then I'll let you know whether it's whether some people have managed to tweak it more than just a toying cost but I think if you're going in completely blind and you have a seeker who's who doesn't know too much about the snitches that they're up against yeah it's pretty much a snip, pretty much a coin toss. Yeah, I can think if you can always guarantee a very high level, then it's something else. But we, at, at this time, we can't, and that's why I don't like it. And I don't see that changing a lot. Um, mm. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, what we can agree on, what we mentioned before, is like the changes that's come in recently has definitely improved the end game overall. Like, there's that extra tactical question of. Like, do we, I don't know, we're 80 points down. Do we catch now or do we get a few more goals? Do we then catch when we're a bit closer? Like, do we back our quaffle game to get those, I don't know, five goals maybe against their three or whatever? And then obviously you have the scenario where you can end a game on a winning goal and you can have like a next goal win scenario, uh, which made, if, if anyone watched the, the BQC final, just incredible spectacle and like, an incredible way to end a, a sporting contest. Um, getting back on track now. Um, yeah. Kind of looking towards uh, this edition of the tournament, 2022. Um, just kind of looking through the teams that are going to be in Ireland next week. Like which teams kind of jump out as being particularly interesting. Maybe, maybe some exciting players to watch on those teams. What do you reckon? Players is, is, is an interesting one. I think that... It's very blind for me. I mean, I know locally sort of sort of some players in Belgium, some in France, some in England, Germany, um, as well as a couple in Poland. But they're all old names. And Scotland in Australia too. I like you know two or three players on all the different teams and you've but you've known them because they've been around for years. My question is is what are the new players coming onto the scene? Um, who are sort of the up and comings? Um, I do think that there's a lot of older blood that you're going to see like the proportion i if you took sort of the average playing age you're either going to get everybody under everybody under sort of a year or everybody over three years you're, you're not going to get that middle ground so to me that's going to be the more interesting comparison um i know that on team scotland for example a large majority of our team are have never been to an international uh tournament or played at this level before whereas i know that team australia for example I think only three people on their team have never played at an extremely high-level tournament. They've all been vetted through State Shield. They've all been vetted through World Cups. So they're, they're going in extremely experienced, extremely confident. They know how these tournaments work. So, yeah, we'll see. I think it'd be interesting to see that balance as well. I'm actually um, <clears throat> quite curious uh, what Italy will look like. I mean, we had now, I think mm. you see DNA Quidditch that uh, got, I think, third, fourth, uh, well, quite high. Second. 
yeah. and now the big question is yeah will they be able to do the same with with the italian national team i have i actually don't know if they have the same people on the roster uh, i don't know that by heart but yeah you would expect them to maybe do as good uh, or do better than they did a couple of years ago yeah that's a really good point suzanne like just looking through the roster now like you you, you do have like a certain quantity of players from that DNA team. Like people like uh, Daniele Damasi was their kind of key beater. Um, Francesco Caruso, uh, Wally Benfidel, the Black Mamba, coming back when we we picked him up massively before you see and boy did he deliver. Um, and then you have like some names who can be added from the other teams as well. Like from going to Division Two um, in Brescia, um, I know that for the, the home team, uh, Daniele Bellotti, particularly impressed me. It's one of their key beaters. And then uh, Stefano Torini is like an incredible receiver behind the hoops for them. Um, so, yeah, there's there, there is, I think, a bit of an unknown quantity, but yeah. approved recently and also kind of in the past as well that like they can compete, uh, just whether they can do it consistently, I guess. Yeah, yeah. because when I was thinking about, okay, who can actually win the golden medal, you always have Germany, England, France, Belgium in your mind, but okay, after the QC, we might need to edit Italy. We don't know that. We don't know yet before, um, yeah, before we will actually see what happens in G. So maybe like, or will Austria make a comeback? You know, it's also like people always think, oh, what's going to be the, the big players? Like who can, you know, who can hustle with the big dogs? One thing I get really excited about is, there, a few years ago, there used to be a top four. Now there's a top five. Maybe this year there'll be a top six. Next year there's going to be a tip. There'll be a top seven. Like it's going to be, um, it's exciting for me to see as as the years go on and as the tournaments go on, you're going to see the teams that are consistently up there, um, and whether that level gets even where the bar gets raised even higher. And that's one of the reasons I'm so excited for Australia because I think they are going to dominate, but they're also going to massively raise the bar of those that were typically in the top five. They're now going to have to play um, a far more interesting and much higher level. They're going to have to play World Cup level Quidditch, not just uh, EG level Quidditch. They're not playing to beat people in their neighborhood. They're playing to beat people who are previously world champions. So to me, I'm, I'm curious to see like who can go toe-to-toe with Australia. Um, I'm very confident that England can, um, very confident. I'm very confident that France can, um, and still big, big question mark, uh, on the other teams. Um, but yeah, looking forward to it. And the, if I check my schedule, Italy will get to go toe to toe with Australia. And that is going to be the real test. Like can, has Italy come far enough where they can hold their own against Australia? Let's see. Yeah, and the thing with Australia is also we've all played each other quite recently, right? Um, you see Division 1 is only two months ago. So Australia will be the one high-level team that no one has played against quite recently. Um, and also when you're looking at footage, it's not easy to find recent footage. We don't really know how they will look, how they will play. It could be a total surprise. Yeah, true. And like you, you look through their roster, like there are definitely some recognizable names in there. I mean, you look at people like Callum Mayling, he's kind of seen as one of the, the greatest players to ever play the sport. Um, and then you've got uh, people like Nathan Morton as well, Luke Derrick, like these, these names from back in 2016 when they won the World Cup. 
but there's also a lot of Australian players on that roster who, like, as a European, um, I, I I may have heard the name, but there's a lot I either haven't heard of at all, and I definitely haven't seen play. So there's a lot yes. of unknown qualities, and the question is whether, obviously, we know as Australia is this big global threat and like a a contender for the world championships when we when we have them. But will mm. these new drop bears step up to the level of the old ones? That's that's the question. Absolutely. And just to name drop as well, a couple of extra ones is sort of Maddie Bell, Michelle Mannering and Samantha Chittenden, all absolute legends within the sport, absolute legends within their states, within their teams. And you'll see them on any winning team back in Australia. I'm very excited to see what kind of level of uh, female competition they can bring to that to that side of the sport as well. But also big one to mention is the head coach, uh, Nicola Gertler. And this is another reason I'm very interested. If I had to pick a player in Australia that was Alice Walker, who's the coach of Team England, sort of like counterpart, they're both very, very similar. And I find that oh. so interesting. That's and cool. so you have um, these two female leads of these two, possibly some of the best teams in Quidditch at the moment. And they're both beaters. They've both been in the sport for a ridiculously long level of time. They've both had to fight their way to be respected in their various areas. And they have both completely dominated in their various areas. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm extremely interested to see how they, how they manage their teams as well and how they communicate with their teams and what kind of tactics they're going to be pulling to the floor. So another I'm, I'm really hoping for an australia england game i think that is uh i've been dreaming of this game for six years so i really <laughs> hope it happens yeah i think i'd be quite sad to, like to, to have left eg and for australia not to have played england like i feel like that's a game we've been owed for far too long and like <laughs> you said yeah like that that head coaching battle yeah like adds another dimension to it that definitely makes it a fascinating uh head-to-head and yeah, I've been doing a comparison. I've been doing join the dots and going, oh, yep, they'll, ma- they'll match them. They'll match them. They'll man up on them. They'll man up on them. They're equal. They're honestly equal. So that, they, it will be how well they play together with their teammates. It will be the biggest difference and that will decide who will be the be- better team because you can have a lot of good individuals, but when you don't have a team, yeah, you don't win EG. Yeah, true. And like speaking, speaking of teams as well, like, I feel this is a good time to talk about Germany because yeah. Germany, yeah. like their their strength is how well they play as a team. Like j- just before this uh, this recording, I've been watching uh, Germany play at European Games in 2019, and some of the half court they played was, I think, it's, it's some of the best I've ever seen in Quidditch. Like full stop. Like the way they all move for each other and they work off the ball and they sort of ping the quaffle around between the different corners and then it goes in eventually after about five, six, seven passes. Like it's beautiful Quidditch. So mm-hmm. I'm looking to see like how how they are how they shape up this time and yeah, with many kind of amazing players they've got on their roster. Yeah, I'm under the impression that they lack a bit of female chasers that they would usually um have put on their roster. I'm not really sure what happened. Maybe people are injured. I don't know, like uh, Sarah Koch is on there, who is, really has a really good shot. And like Rosa, um, who is also a really amazing player, is also not on the roster. So I'm quite curious how, what they what their team will look like. Um, I can't really see if the level would be as high as it was a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's true. And, um, no Hannah Grosser either. 
Um, but you got yeah, yes, exactly. Tunic, yeah. who's been fantastic for years. Yeah. Micah Hintz as well. Is, I think uh, Micah amazing for is Rose on Phoenix. the. I think Micah is on the roster, but I think that she was injured. I'm not entirely sure. Um, <laughs> if you're not injured, I'm very sorry, Micah. <laughs> <laughs> mm. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see kind of the well, the turnover. Who, who's there? Who's not? And um, like the, the additions they've got as well. Like uh, notes on the, the roster, they have Leonard Pedetti, who uh, has previously played with the French national team. Um, has been one of their better players in previous years. So we should see what impact they have on the German team now. And always nice to have someone who has played for a French team to have some inside intel. So that would be good. Oh, <laughs> yeah. so treacherous. We're so secretive, the French. <laughs> I think when we look at like the French roster, um, looks quite similar to the previous years. Um, I don't see any new additions, I think. Um, I only one, see that like... One, one absence though, right? Yes, absences. Um, that... Like Mikel is not yeah. there. Uh, but also Atto is not there, uh, which uh, she can also make a very big difference, I think. And I don't think Townsend is on the roster either. So these would be players that, well, if I was making a Team France, I would always put them on my roster. Um, but yeah, I think they still have a strong team without these players. Um, but okay, like Mikel is probably one of the key players of that team, I would assume. Didn't uh, Mikel move to Australia? Imagine him playing for Australia. If it's the same Mikel, I'm thinking Okay, right. That's yeah. interesting. So they've come back to France. Okay. Yeah. N- another person who's come back to France is uh, Sade. I'm not going to Try the second name, but uh, Sade, first name, who is one of the key chasers when Tyson's initially had their dominance. And then she went over to New York for a bit, played over in America. So it'll be interesting to see how her game yes. has developed coming back and playing for France now. I think EG will be a bit like EQC in that matter that... Um... Also, before EQC, we all didn't really know knew, know what had happened between the teams, how uh, which teams kept on training, which teams kept on developing. And now for EG, will be similar. Um, we can expect some things from the people we already know. Um, but like you said, uh, Emma, the, the new people will be the biggest surprise probably. Mm. I mean, I know that from Team Scotland, I know that there's a lot of people that really want to prove themselves and are really keen to like, you know, make their debut on the world stage. They haven't had this, they haven't had an opportunity like this for several years. And so I think mm-hmm. just as much as I am, um, it's, it's, I'm really proud to see how far they've come and how far they will continue to go in such a short space of time. Um, what about yourself uh, on Hong Kong, Fraser? Um yeah, well, I think we're exciting to watch in that there's a lot of raw talent within within the team. Uh, sort of put together a roster of mostly sort of locally based players or players based in the UK and surrounding area. So we were European in that sense that we're mostly based in Europe. So, yeah, there'll be a lot of players who haven't played very much uh, competitively, certainly not at this high level. Um, but yeah, they're, they're all my little surprises and yeah, 
I'm going to let them do do their talking on the pitch. <laughs> we shall see. Have you been able to practice together with uh, some members of the team? Um, not this year, no. But um, we, we do have a concentration of players in London who've been practicing uh, within their sort of unit, essentially. Um, so they'll be well acquainted with each other and hopefully have developed some skills, developed some maybe a bit of chemistry, who knows? Um, but uh, it's very much for for us as for the national team, this this tournament is a bonus, really. Like being able to mm-hmm. come to EG and have this chance to compete at this level is a real kind of uh, luxury to have and a chance to give people some experience of top level Quidditch and then yeah for the world cup next year um i'm really excited for the roster we're going to bring there so yeah all kind of building towards 2023 yeah and very uh kind of just noted uh you've got an iqa board trustee on your team as well chris Lyle, number 26 our, our yeah, you, we, we, we no. wouldn't be we wouldn't be at eg without chris um yeah. it's all no, his no. idea to be attending the tournament so shout out to chris very unique and very rare because the IQA Board of Trustee role is such a huge undertaking, administrative undertaking, sort of so many things go on in the background being part of that team. So just being able to, I've seen so many members of the the board show up, but being able to show up and play on a national team is uh, is a whole nother level of commitment to the sport. <laughs> a huge I, filled with a huge sense of admiration that they're able to balance that and also by the way just happen to be really athletic and can just you know beat or chase anyone out of the park so uh yeah keen keen to see them play as well uh, he's a he's a hard working guys chris <laughs> yeah we've also got the uh head uh of quidditch uk quidditch uk josh fogg they're playing on team scotland i wonder if there's any other um major leaders of leaders of quidditch playing on some of the other teams wasn't luke Derek the ngb president of quidditch australia still i believe very good point yeah so, that, that's another one <laughs> no i don't believe um i think luke is, is was the president i think luke is now a secretary another iqa board trustee actually now recently elected a secretary so there you go two out of uh yeah. five or six so this is unprecedented people yeah. Like the IQA board trustees are playing, not just running the sport. <laughs> Getting fully stuck uh, in. Yeah. yeah. I, I imagine there's a few more NGB presents and things knocking around. And, uh, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> but yeah, Suzanne just kind of circling back around to, to Belgium. Obviously, you've been practicing with us the, the, uh, recently. Are there any players we should be watching out for? Um. Well, I'm thinking, yeah, all of them, <laughs> firstly. <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> I think there are not that many new additions. Uh, I think all the people who are playing were already in the roster, except for uh, two female chasers. I think uh, Joy Hagman, who is quite new to Quidditch, she plays for Antwerp. Uh, she doesn't have that much Quidditch, Quidditch experience yet, but she is a very, very good handball player. So it's oh, always nice. nice to have a handball player on your team. And then uh, Isara Bilit, who is um, a player for Antwerp, who is also making her debut um, on the national team, um, who is also quite quite a good player, um, but I don't think that she will um, play as many minutes because she got an injury at her ankle. So I'm not really sure how that will uh, will turn around. Turn around. 
Um, I think all the other players, yeah, you already know them, so you know who to watch. I think also on the Team Belgium roster, the biggest thing to that you can notice is that Seppe is not there. Um, a bit like yeah, the, I was wondering about that. Yes, exactly. See how the team adapts without his presence. Like, and that's no, us. it's not that. It's just he's not good enough anymore to be on the roster. So that's why he's not, he's not joining the team. <laughs> we all got so much better that we kicked Seppa out. Uh, that's the real reason. <laughs> no, it's definitely true. Uh, we will definitely need to adapt. Well, we are not there. Uh, they will definitely need to adapt their game um, because normally Seppa is the carrier of the game. Um, together with Louis, but definitely Chaser Wise, he's carrying the game, he's vying the play, and when he's not there, someone else will have to step in. I'm expecting Nathan to do that. Um, well, let's see if he can step in the, the, the plays that Seppin normally takes, how he will do it, um, if he will do it in the same way, but probably I, I'm assuming the game will shift more and it's divided over all players. A bit like we need to do in Ghent. In Ghent, we don't have really a very big star player, so we all need to be very good because we don't have someone who can compensate for the rest. And yep. Zappa, of course, has always been that person. Um, so, yeah, I think probably the team will also do like a little bit more than they would normally do. Uh, I cannot say it like that, but yeah. Yeah, it's, it's good, like valid points to bring up. And like, I feel if anyone can do that, it's Belgium. Like, what's really impressed me about them as a national team, kind of throughout their existence, is that they haven't had like the biggest pool of players to select from. But they'll take players who maybe are quite inexperienced, but then they'll bring them up. Like, their development will be so, so rapid within their time in the training camps. And then when it gets to these big tournaments, like, they're ready for the big occasion. Yes. And I think. Maybe it's because we're not that many people that we invest a lot in them. Um, I'm just thinking like, for example, today, um, Margot who is a new player since this year in Ghent, came to the Griffiths practice and I, she will play at G. She's not joining the national team, but she can actually already after a year, she's good to join the national team practices. Um, so I think the development is quite fast in Belgium, but, but we also like, we crowd them with information. Um, I think the investment is quite big. So, but that's good. I think that's always good. Yeah, yeah definitely actually, positive. That actually reminds me, and I can test actually a testament to that is back in uh, EG twenty nineteen, um, there was like a, a demonstration game, a team Europe versus the development team for Germany. And I remember as things go when you're trying to manage 20 people in all sorts of different countries, I ended up sort of being the semi-coach slash captain. But this other person from Belgium, and I apologize, I cannot remember their name, but they were, in the two to three hours that I knew them, they were one of the best leaders, communicators, and beaters that I have ever seen. And I said to them, how have I not heard of you? And he went, oh, I'm the water boy for Team Belgium. And I just went, this is what the water boys are like. Holy crap. It's probably Matthias, Matthias Hannebalke, yeah. Um, he's on the team. He's on the, ro- he's on the team this time, yeah. But yeah. of course, Louis and Tim are also there. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that's why probably he will not make as many minutes because when you have Louis in your team, um, you know he will make the most minutes. But he's a very motivated guy. And uh, he's the number one beater for Ghent. So, yeah. That's brilliant. Thank you for p- helping me uh, re-dig up a name to a face. I'm going to start uh, doing some Facebook uh, Facebook stalking just to <laughs> find him again and be like, hey, can't wait to catch up. It's been so long. 
<laughs> I must say, like, how... oh, sorry. Yeah. Remember how we almost bet the German development team with only two hours of training? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the thing is with Matthias, he always put a lot of passion in everything. So he was the best water boy we could have. I mean, like, okay, I know it's a stupid name and it's a stupid task, but well, when it's 40 degrees when you're playing, you're quite happy that you're a water boy doing a good job. So you have to give him that that compliment at least. Exactly. Everyone needs a absolute pro H2O specialist, you know. <laughs> exactly. Just, just before we move on, um, like in terms of just teams overall, I think Jandal's already mentioned it, but just looking at, I guess, the, the home nations, as we refer to them in the UK, like obviously you got England, which was previously UK, now rebranded. Um, and then you've got Scotland, and then you've got Wales, and then you've got the Irish team, which is a lot of UK-based players. So it's been really interesting, I think, to see, especially like Scotland and Wales, because previously, um, at previous EGs and World Cups, um, like those players wouldn't have necessarily had this platform to play at a tournament at this level. Um, but now they do. And it'll be interesting to see how not necessarily at this tournament, but perhaps the tournaments to come, how their development is shaped by playing at such a high level. Yeah, so I, I mean, I can't speak for Wales, but I can definitely speak for Scotland. Um, sorry, I can definitely uh, offer my opinion on Scotland. <laughs> I shouldn't speak <laughs> to Scotland. Um, the, uh, the, the beauty of Scotland is that we've got a, an extremely good core team of people who have literally been here for 10 plus years you know we we've i think nine of us nine of us in the community team went recently down to in kelpies quick shout out to kelpies uh, community team it was only nine of us and we had 55 years of cumulative experience between us and that is crazy on average six or seven years of um quidditch experience so of us that are up there where you they've kind of got strong guiding hands i guess I think the critical thing for Team Scotland is we just need to show them their potential and help help them believe that what they're capable of. And I think that's a very delicate balance to strike. Um, but no, I'm very excited for Team Scotland. I think that their tackling game is on point. I think that their sporting game is on point. I think they're extremely tough because they have to live in a tough country. That <laughs> uh, is very, it is pun. It, it's weather is completely punishing, and half the year you're playing in snow. That is an exaggeration, but still, uh, the toughness stands. Yeah. Um, so I, I look forward to it. I think like, but then there has to be a decision on Team Scotland's part whether they want to become a team. Because of course, when you become a competitive team, there's a little bit of a little bit of the freeness and more of the fun and the lightheartedness and doing the sport for fun does change. And so this is why I love Germany as a team because they've managed to play extremely competitively and yet they all look like they're having an amazing time. They all look like it, they pretty much just bought the rave with them from, from the streets of Berlin and they're just <laughs> carrying on the party. Yeah, very true. Like win or lose, Germany are just in the best of spirits having a great time. Like at least externally, we don't know about internally but yeah it's definitely the vibes they give off mm. um yeah so just moving on to day uh sorry where are we the, the tournament format sorry um like this format we've got 20 teams at the tournament and obviously with every quidditch tournament we have different amounts of teams um but yeah looking at the f format what would we make of it i think it's good i think it's good um <laughs> 
Yeah, it's it's the way I imagine it in my head is all the team. You're in your pool. Try and do the best you can in your pool. Um, the top in each of the pools goes straight to the knockouts. Makes sense. End of the day, you're all going to be battling for those last two slots, or you're going to be battling to maintain your spot and not get put into the bottom bottom three, or I think yeah, the bottom four, bottom three. So I think it's good. I think like regardless of how you perform in the pool play, those next couple of games are really going to, they're going to split your team between deciding, do we want this hard enough to be in the top eight? Or do we want that, do we want this hard enough to be sort of in the middle? Um, uh, or do we just want to have a really good time and just see how things go uh, in the round robins and bottom four? Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's overall no 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 major issues with it um i all think it's fairly fair as well and gives or gives the right amount of exposure to all the teams because this is the issue when you have all the best teams playing against the other best teams they all get better but trying to break into that space can be really hard but sometimes all it takes is to get tackled by someone from france and you go oh crap that's <laughs> what i need to be like in three years if i want to compete at world cup it, it, it Playing these higher-level teams will will make you better. And this is why I'm a big advocate for Australia being there. Having another higher-level team is going to force you to play better um, instead of staying within your comfort zone. So I, I always think that change, change will drive development and will push people to be development. It's proven in the pandemic, for example. You know, no one was uh, thinking about remote working, and yet the sort of extreme circumstances necessitated it and forced it. Um, so I'm really hoping that Australia competing here is going to create an environment for a really interesting World Cup next year. It's going to show the other teams what level they're going to have to play if they want to seriously compete. And that's not even taking into account Brazil. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, I think before plan Suzanne, we were talking about how you weren't entirely sure about the format, right? So Yeah, so I guess the first day, it's um, you play four games. And yeah. you should be the first one. <laughs> but what happens when you're the second team? Or it's not completely clear what happens the second day to me. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my understanding of it, um, just from what I read of it, I'm not not looking at this right now. But basically, yeah, you, you rank after day one. So you play four games in your group, um, and they'll just be whoever's top or bottom, whatever. And then what will happen on the first game of day two is two groups get paired so say for example yeah. i don't know group a will get paired with group c and then i believe it's kind of a case of you match the the team with the same record as you so say for example belgium win their group and france win their group they then play a game against each other and then the second team okay. and third fourth fifth so the Teams that are in fourth and fifth position, I believe, are playing in to get into the lower bracket. Um, and then the lose will go into sort of a mini four-team round-robin um, round tournament. Uh, and then for the others, they're sort of playing for, uh, I think, the seeding draw in the quarterfinals uh, in the upper bracket at the top end of the tournament. Um, so, so there's a bit, a bit of something for everyone, basically. But when you get second in your group, what happens then? You play, can you still go for the gold medal or not? Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, you, you're, yeah, you're so still, what you'll have yeah. is, yeah, you can only get, uh, so you can only get eight, 
you can only get eight for the knockouts. You can only get a top eight to go into the knockouts and decide who the winner is. So yeah. with 20 teams, uh, if you come at the top of your pool, there are four pools. So those top four, if you come at the top of your pool, you're straight into the knockouts, no problem. That leaves four spots left. Now, I believe it's going to be places sort of fifth to about 13th that'll all be having a series of games on that first or second day to battle it out for those last four spots. So if you've got, um, so if you're going by the pool play, these would be countries like Norway, Spain, Austria, Poland, Germany, Netherlands, Italy, Catalonia. These are all the countries, if we're basing it off their previous performances, these yep. are all the countries that are fighting to get into that, to compete with the big big players in that uh, final knockout round. Does that sort of make sense? And then whoever doesn't make it into the, the top bracket, they will go into sort of a middle bracket. Or if you did, didn't win any games or you did really badly, you'll probably just go into a little round robin. Um, but the rankings are also determined and refreshed everywhere, all the way through as well. Um, and it's not just based on wins. It's based on snitch catches. It's based on points difference. There's a whole intricate layer to it that for, for the sanity of the listeners, I won't go into. Um, but be be the best in your pool. And if you're not the best in your pool, uh, win all. Once the pool play is over, you, you must win those days at the end of day one beginning of day two if you want to do well and if you want to try and make it into the top spots and solidify your reputation as one of the top eight in europe you need to win that game at the end of day one beginning of day two you need to if you don't you're out but if you're second in your group do you then play one more game than yeah. when you're the first yeah okay that's why. Yeah, okay. and that's yep. that's actually the thing. You've got to have a much harder time. You, yeah. if you're in the top four, you have a really easy easy ride. You you play everyone mm. in your pool, you do fine, but then you you have to play. And the next day will be hard. Yeah. Well, I, I yeah. think I think the group the group winners play each other, don't they? That, that's what I give uh, yeah. ten o'clock slot. Yeah. So they, they yeah, kind but, of have like a essentially like a warm up game, like a a free final essentially. That will then Wait, they play sort. they play each other, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, they've already made it to the top four, so they're they're kind of just they'll decide which side of giggles. They'll decide which side of the bracket they're on. Yeah, essentially. So, so okay. maybe that's weird. That's a bit weird. No, thinking, it, who do I want to avoid in the quarterfinals, the semifinals, maybe? Yeah, the game. Okay. So those games decide who they play, but it doesn't just it doesn't change the fact that they're in the top eight. Yeah. This could be a really weird game, right? It could be <laughs> yeah. that none of the teams want to win it. <laughs> I think yeah. it could give, if we're if we're having bad luck, it could give like a very ridiculous situation. I don't know. They, Let's see what happens. The bench players in those games and uh, give peace some game time. Yeah, yeah, it could you be. Could, uh, you could you could also like psych another team out. It's like, oh, we're playing France. We might have to play them in the final. Let's deliberately lose to them so they have they feel confident. And then when we actually hit them in the final, they're not going to know what's hit them. They're gonna, we're gonna score six goals on them within the first minute and a half, and they're just gonna start freaking out. And it is, it's all tactics in those top four, and that's the level that you get to. So yeah, like yeah, for, but... for the head coaches, like the mental game for that ten o'clock slot is gonna be really interesting, like how they play it. I think I haven't second thoughts about that. I think you should always go for the win. Um, the mm. fact that you could play a game where it would be strategically better to lose, uh, I don't like that. 
Yeah, well, I mean, we had this discussion before EQC Division 1 where, like, it was kind of like a set bracket kind of situation where, say, in the case of our group with Vosraps is playing Antwerp, the loser got what was, quote-unquote, the easier side of the bracket. So, say, I don't know if you're Antwerp, like, it could have been tempting to go, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll lose that, that, that group and then go to the other side. But there's also definitely merit in yeah having confidence throughout the tournament and just winning every game and going yeah no one can beat us yeah why should we lose in the semi-final why should we lose in the final exactly yeah i think that's also like deliberately losing i don't think it will be good for the mental state of your team ever um I think having the winning mentality will also help a bit yeah. more never ease up <laughs> I, I think exactly. apart from that like weird thing with the group winners like the rest of the t- the format like serves every team really well like you got that day one where you play like yes. a wide spectrum of teams there'll be some easy games there'll be some middling games and then there'll be like a hard game at least what at least one hard game for every team um yeah. and then well as, as the bracket goes like you'll then be playing teams at your level whether that's in for the, the mid-tier teams in that kind of lower bracket area sort of maybe your Netherlands or your Poland's of the world. Um, and then you've got that, that bottom four round robin play. Um, and yeah, so like eventually, like if you win, great. But if you lose, you are going to play some games that are at your level. Um, and it's going to yeah. make sure everyone gets value out of the tournament. Yeah, and it will be also fun for the people who are not winning their group, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, uh, actually, I think it starts pretty well. Emma, I thought it was quite funny how you um, immediately described Norway as people who could be fighting for the rest of the, the eight spots. Because I remember in, at AG 2019, Norway beat France. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking they could do it again. <laughs> yes, uh, everyone, everyone live in hope, live in hope as I breathe, you know. Uh, it's always a great upset. It's made some great, some great memeable content and, you know. <laughs> Um, but you know, at the end of the day, upsets are great, but it's also, uh, at the end of the day, to me, it's a lot about the players and how they work together. And that's, what's going to come through far more than the, uh, I guess, previous history, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. Um, Obviously, like speaking of upsets, let's look now at day one, the group play of the tournament. Um, just kind of looking through the schedule, which which games jump out to you? Like, what should people be watching, either on the live stream or on if they're in attendance at the tournament, like at pitches that are not live stream? Like, what games uh, look exciting to you? Just gonna get up the schedule um, for what's on the live stream. Here we go. Um, I'm, I would always watch uh, Belgium, Austria, um, because I remember Belgium having a difficult time with Austria before. So this game could be a surprise. Um, normally, you would expect Belgium to win it. Uh, I'm really expecting it from them that they actually win it. <laughs> but it could be, it could make them nervous. It, um, you know, Andrea Rigger is playing for Austria. She's also always very exciting to look at. 
it could be a very great game. So I would definitely keep my keep my eyes on that one, as it is also on the live stream. So people at home can uh, definitely watch it. Um, and in Group D, but I'm not sure if it's on the live stream. Yeah, England, Germany. I'm really curious about that. I think there we will immediately see what the level is of Germany and what the level of England is. I mean, if that game has a big difference between these two teams, okay, it will give us a lot of information for the rest of the weekend. Yeah, we've good got. Thing. I've just got the schedule up, the live stream schedule up. So we've got ten slots over the course of the day. So if anyone's kind of there's there's one live there's multiple pitches but only one live stream. Um, so there'll be 10 games. So I think the ones to watch is probably going to be slot two. So that will be around 9.30, Belgium versus Austria, as you mentioned. That will be on the live stream. You're going to get France versus Norway at uh, probably around about 11.30 uh, Irish time. So that's France versus Norway. See that old blood. You'll get the rematch you've always wanted. <laughs> um, and uh, then the next one will be slot seven, which will be Australia versus Italy. Um, I'm really interested to see will the Italians hold up to the Australian tackling or will they flop when they get hit by, you know, um, Ed, when they get hit by Ed 100 miles an hour, will they survive? Is kind of my bigger question as well, because it's not fun, um, but it's great. They're very, they're very good tacklers. They're not, they're. They're heavy tacklers, but they won't. They do their very best to be safe as possible. And then finally, slot nine is you've got England versus Germany. So all really uh, interesting games on those. Uh, and heaps of other uh, slots I should mention too. But as far as I'm aware, uh, not sure if Scotland versus the Czech Republic uh, has any previous history um, or interesting things. So there'll be some new uh, relationships formed as well, perhaps Hong Kong versus Slovakia. I'm not sure if you have any previous history there, Fraser. Yeah, well, th this is the thing I was going to comment on the live stream channels because, like, I think in the scheduling for day one is brilliant. Like, every game that is on the stream has some kind of significance to every game. I, I feel like most teams get are getting a game on day one on the stream, mm -hmm. which is fantastic. But they're all what appear to be games that will be competitive um for the most part um and just like even games like hong kong v slovakia we we played each other at the 2018 world cup and uh that's one of the two games we won at the tournament so yeah i'm sure slovakia will be looking to give us a hard game and looking to beat us this time um so even like little things like that but um yeah just like obviously suzanne mentioned belgium versus austria and i think in a similar vein you've got norway versus spain in the opening slot uh, on day one like both those games are the first games of the tournament for those teams and you tend to find in Quidditch especially like that's when like if you're if you want an upset like or, or quote-unquote upset like a team um like a team that's kind of a favorite like they might not be at 100% the first game of the tournament still kind of working things out and obviously like if you're within one two three goals of the team that's leading the game you can win the game you can send the game to overtime so all it takes is for say a belgium or a norway who I, I i'd say are the favorites for those two games to be slightly off form like yeah. first game of the tournament and then yeah it's it's easier for the underdog in this situation whether that's austria or spain to provide the upset so definitely looking at those two yeah and then, i completely yeah. agree with that <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Um, and then England versus Germany, like 
if you replace England with UK from 2019, like that's essentially the third place playoff, and we get that for free on day one. So that's really exciting. And uh, I think when you looked at the group group draws, Germany were arguably the strongest second seed and the team that a lot of teams wouldn't want. But I think this is actually quite good for England because if you look at their previous tournaments, their previous day ones, they've had quite favourable draws. Um, I certainly think back to the World Cup in 2018 where they were very comfortably their group winner. Uh, and then they had a really big scare in the uh, quarterfinal against Italy, which is like their first really tough test and then kind of wobbled them for the games that came after that. So it's actually quite good for Germany and for England to have like a final quality match so early in yeah. the tournament. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think it's good to have on day one a game, at least one game that is quite competitive, just to get you into that flow. If you're playing four games that are just easy wins, then you're not ready for day two. Um, so that's definitely better. I think, okay, of course, for the team who loses that game, it will suck. Um, but the team that wins is definitely better prepared for day two. I completely agree. Mm. As like, long as you've long as you've won like your previous games and like you, it's just a group decider like you know yeah that there, there, there is something at stake but also if you lose it's not the end of the world yeah and also the bev squad will be coming out in force for that match all of the <laughs> yeah. beauty and glory and also the downside of english football hooligan <laughs> chants that you can imagine i can already hear them in my head you know oh, i love that <laughs> Oh, England, or two world wars and one world cup, or something like that. <laughs> do da, do da, something along those lines. And you're, so you're I apologize. A more tuneful way than they will. Yeah, it's, it's entertaining <laughs> yeah, sure. though, but I apologize in advance to anyone that has to. I apologize in advance on behalf of England for any, or <laughs> yeah. on anyone that has to be put through that, but it is extremely entertaining. And it's at the end of the day, so Bevs will almost definitely be out being passed around. So if you're out there on the pitches, get behind it, head down to the England versus Germany game, and you'll have a great time and meet a couple of friends to go out for dinner with and hopefully pass the party. <laughs> who knows, who knows? And, uh, yeah, definitely one to watch if you're if you're there on the ground or, yeah, on the live stream as well. Um, and yeah, like, I feel like we have to address the elephant in the room here, um, which is obviously it's the European games, but we have the additions of Australia and Hong Kong for this year's tournament. So yeah, what, what do we make of uh, these two addition, these two additional teams? And uh, yeah, I mean, okay. yeah, what do you reckon? <laughs> oh, do you, do you want me to rant? Do you really want to run? Do you want to put the listeners through this, Fraser? Let's get let's get into it. Why not? Why not? Okay. All right. Okay. I'm I am very much for um, as I imagine you are very much for uh, since you play for Hong Kong, um, Australia play as mentioned throughout this podcast, sprinkled around saying when you have really great teams that lifts the level of playing. We've just come out of a pandemic. It's important that not just European teams, they get to have a bit of a taster so they can spend the next year preparing. Um, as a player myself who has traveled, has spent literally thousands of pounds to travel halfway around the world to a team to run in a field with a broomstick between my legs. If it can be extremely crushing and extremely new experience 
you feel a lot more stressed and in less in control when you're coming into an experience that you haven't had before, especially in the game sense. So I think this is going to help a lot of teams settle, settle into what is required of them to get to a World Cup and definitely help uh, help them set the stand of what they need to be aiming for. It's not just a, a holiday to the States. Um, so that's a critical one. I think a large, from, from what I know, a large majority of people in the international community are supportive of Australia and Hong Kong attending, especially since the Asia Pacific Games uh, is not happening. Um, and so, and for another reason as well, I think this is important to state, the Asia Pacific Games is sort of equivalent to having, I guess, your Team Wales, your Team Scotland's, your Team uh, Team Poland's, and Team Austria's. You know, we don't we don't quite have the level that can compete with Australia yet. And so, even if Australia did go to the Asia Pacific Games, which they usually do, they don't usually send like the full drop bear squad because they would completely decimate. Um, everybody and win by 210 nil. So it's not we're not quite at that level yet. Usually the Australians tend to send you know a club team or you know a fantasy team. Um, I think they're called the drop kicks. <laughs> uh, yeah, the drop bears is the national team. The drop kicks is kind of like who wants to go. Um, so that's sort of the other level. Is I think it's really important that the Australians last time they they lost out a bit because they don't they really realistically only get opportunities like this once every two years so the ability to come and test some things out before they have to travel again to the united states is really important for them um everyone benefits uh the only people that don't benefit is potentially those that had their sights on getting onto the podium um and that you can make a whole argument around they're not European, they shouldn't be European. I think it's important to stress that Australia competing in the European Games is very much a temporary thing that is necessary for the development of the sport. End lecture. Thank you for my TED talk. <laughs> my TED talk. But like, I, yeah, hit me, hit me with your points, Suzanne, if you've, if you've got any arguments against it, but like, um, for me, it's just, um, I can summarize it in two sentences, I think. Um, will it be weird when Australia wins EG? Yes. Um, but it will also be just a free practice round for World Cup. So I'm not saying no to that. <laughs> um, if they want to come to EG and we can have a free practice round with them, yeah, please let them come. I like that. And it's like you say, Emma, um, I think after the pandemic, if they get well if, i also agree if it's better for quidditch in general then why should we not do it i thought it was a nice idea to have that at EG. i don't have anything uh, against it yeah it's a good perspective to have and i think well it, it's important to draw people's attention as to why australia and hong kong are there in the first place is that the iqa have a policy where when in between world cup years you have your what they call the continental games so people were just seeing the weekend just gone. There's the Pan American Games in Peru, uh, which was held there. Um, but basically, if you if your country has, um, well, if they don't have a continental games in their continent, then they can choose to attend another one. So say Australia could have easily chosen to go to Pan American Games if they wanted to, or we, we, we could have gone to Lima. Uh, which would have been far more expensive for me. So I'm quite grateful we're, we're going to Ireland instead. Um, but uh, 
yeah, that that's the technical reason as to why they are there. And as Janos was saying, it's very much like a, a temporary fix as we're coming out of the pandemic to give people a chance to play competitive international Quidditch and kind of have a bit of a warm up, essentially a bit of a development tournament going into uh, World Cup next year. I also think that uh, the United States is just on a completely different level as well, and they haven't played at any other tournament. And so Australia is probably the closest you're going to get to a US style of team um, in terms of sort of physicality and similar playing styles and things like that. I think the Belgians did an incredible job at World Cup and props to them for playing their own game and absolutely dominating it and proving that there is a way to beat um, the bit, the sort of just the, the sort of the duck and the drive and the and the sort of the nice old the classic one twos, um, but the only way you're going to be able to practice against that is if Australia are there, and you, there is no way in hell I think that in 17 minutes you're able to figure out a team that have been playing together for literally hours, weekends more than you, and if you think that you can understand that to the level that you can beat it, I take my hat off to you. But it is it is a very, very hard thing to do. And it's important you have practice as a team on how to tackle that, not just as individuals who can rabbit off, okay, this is the strategy. Because that, no offense to UK, I think is primarily one of the things, the reason it fell apart for them at the last World Cup is they had a strategy and they had a plan, but it didn't when the plan didn't work, it kind of just all fell apart, didn't it? Do, do you want a repeat of USA versus UK 20, 2018? I don't. So, and you're not going to get that by not having the Australians there, like at EG. It's just, it's necessary. It has to be done if you want a chance in learning how to beat that style of playing. Yeah, I think as, as a team, you somewhere have to hope that you get the opportunity to play against them as they're there. Um, like when I when I if I would be in uh, Team Belgium, I would love to have a game against them. Yeah, I think when the group draw was made, like as, as excited as I am to play Belgium, I've already played like a lot of Belgian players before. Whereas I've never played Australia, so I was quite disappointed not to get them in my group. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I feel like a lot of people will feel a similar way as well, like having that something a bit different because, well, we've. EG and you compare it to like EQC in some ways it's it's a very similar tournament but you've just changed the jerseys like that there's a few differences here or there um but yeah like having Australia there's that extra bit of spice for this year mm-hmm. and in the years to come you know if Australia if Australia does win uh they'll never get invited back so don't worry (laughs) if they take away your medal don't worry there's like five other medals in the next 10 years and australia won't have access to any of them and the thing is if you do win the gold medal it's even a better a better gold medal because you're not only won against all european teams but you also beat australia so you should be very happy with it yeah Mm. definitely and uh also, like you think about it in terms of the tournament as a whole, like it's it's twenty teams at this tournament. If there wasn't any Australia, there wasn't any Hong Kong, you're down to eighteen teams. Um, when you start getting weird numbers of teams like that, yeah, like from an organisational perspective, that makes things quite difficult. Like trying to work out a format that works, whereas twenty is like a good round number, and uh, has resulted in like a tournament and a schedule that works for everyone. So just on that organisational point 
like it's, it's good that we're able to attend. Yeah, it's a good remark, Fraser. I didn't even think about that yet. Uh, I never think about how you schedule a tournament. That, that yeah. is a very good argument. <laughs> well, I was just thinking about the 2018 World Cup, how we had 29 teams. And like that's a really straight, like how do you make 29 teams get enough game time and all of that? Like, yeah, that must be really hard for the organisers. So 20 is a nice number. Just have a three-day tournament. That's the way. <laughs> I, I really hope that the next World Cup is three days. I think it should. I think it'd be quite nice because you know most what what most World Cups happen over a series of two months, and yet we compact it all down into two days. It'd be nice to uh, to only have two or three games a day, and then maybe have some friendlies. Like yeah. you can still fill that space, and it's it is an incredibly stressful if you have to win every single game one after another over a period of two days and maintain team health and you know, all the different aspects that come with that. Spread it out over three days, um, you're probably going to be also far less light chance of injury because players are less tired. So Yeah. Um I really like the two day tournaments because it's easier for my job, for example. But when World Cup will be in in the United States, okay, you will not do that over a weekend. You will not no. fly out on Friday and go back on Monday. So actually, that's actually a nice opportunity to have a longer tournament because everyone will be there, I guess, for a week anyway. Yeah, you need to get the jet lag out of your, out of your system. <laughs> and you can go and watch other games as well. Like I remember being at the last World Cup. Um, and I was like, do you want to go and watch X game? And I went, no, fuck off. I'm so tired. I need to go and stretch for an hour. Um, you don't have them. Some people have the mental capacity. I didn't. But so that's the other thing. Like you can build up hype and build up engagement from the wider community to go and watch that, watch this big game that's happening. So there are still friendlies that are happening leading up to World Cup. I should mention that. Um, and they were happening the entire week beforehand. Um, so it doesn't have to stop. Um, it can still happen. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot, lot of potential for exciting ideas for next year. And, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a whole other discussion for another day, I guess. <laughs> lot, lots to think about, even before we finish with this tournament. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right. Um, I think we'll wrap it up there, shall we? Uh, kind of uh, exhausted. All there is to talk about, um, and I think we're all just eagerly awaiting for some quidditch like waiting for the action to start um any any last thoughts well i'm gonna ask you fraser and emma who will win eg oh. <laughs> what is your prediction guns, up, guns for that kind of stuff <laughs> yeah no who will win and who do you want to win <laughs> okay um who Razzie. will win my logical brain says france will win uh, given this discussion, actually, uh, France will win. Who do I want to win? I want Belgium to win. Like, Belgium or Germany. Belgium that. or Germany. They both deserve <laughs> to win. They both put the work in. They both are incredibly amazing teams. They just have a, I have a soft spot for both of them. And I think it's time for, it's their time to have their time in the sun. So, what about yourself? Like, who who do you think will win and who do you want to win? Um, I want to say Belgium twice. <laughs> <laughs> also, Can- because I think it would be just so funny if we won, if they won without Seppert. <laughs> and, and painful. I'm very sorry, sorry Seppert. No, um, <laughs> I think 
Belgium definitely has a good opportunity, a good chance to win. I really believe that. And I also really want them to win. So I'm going to say Belgium twice. Mm -hmm. What do you think, yeah. Fraser? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Like Head versus heart. Um, I'd say, obviously, as a, as a player, like you want to win every game. So, of course, I want Hong Kong to win it. But being realistic, um, as, as a more kind of a realistic heart answer, um, I'd say like I'd say, probably say Germany, um, just because the way they play Quidditch, like that they play it as a team, a real team game. Like yes, they have star players, but it's the way they interact with each other, and like especially like some of their half court offense is beautiful to watch. Um, and I think in terms of like talking about what in terms of the best outcome for the sport, like in terms of Quidditch winning at European Games, it's Germany coming out on top and proving that they are the best team at the tournament. So I'd probably say them in terms of heart. Um, in terms of head, yeah. I'm going to be incredibly biased um, as a player who plays in England. Um, I think England are, yeah, a lot of their players are on incredible role right now. Like you look at the core of that roster uh, coming from the Wales and London team um, who've dug them. They dug themselves out of a pretty big hole to win uh, the British Cup back in April. Um, that epic final, the sort of uh, golden goal score to win. And then uh, EQC, yeah, having a really, really tricky uh, bracket play run. Sort of snitch range games in throughout day two. And then, of course, defeating Paris Titans in that semi-final and then mm. DNA in the final. Um, so I think they're just on an absolute hot streak right now and they'll just be keeping that going into eg and then you add in the players from outside of that like lqc like within that first 18 minutes of that bqc final played some of the best quidditch i've ever seen those players play so adding that in and then obviously players from like so velociraptors and south sea and um yeah the, the other players that kind of fit into the system yeah, I think, yeah, just just for having that momentum, yeah, it's going to serve them well. My expectations for England are also very high. Definitely after what I've seen from Werewolves, uh, what I've seen from the tackles from Ed Brett, oh my God. Uh, <laughs> I, really how he took down those very Titans players. Uh, and I don't, know, I don't know many people who can do the same as him. So my expectations for um, England are definitely high, yeah. Mm. I mean, ultimately, it, like, there's five contenders for the tournament, and like all, all these games could potentially be like snitch range games between yeah between England, France, Belgium, Australia, Germany. Like all those teams could definitely win the tournament, um, and it might just come down to a moment of brilliance, like a moment of human error, perhaps, or like yeah. these, some real fine margins. So, really excited to see who actually gets there. Instead of a snitch on pitch, just have Ed Brett tackle Callum Mayling and see, like, let that be the game decider. If Ed Brett can tackle Callum Mayling to the ground, <laughs> I'll buy Ed a beer at every tournament for the rest of his life. <laughs> That'd be one hell of a, a contest, I, I'm sure. Yeah, only one person in Australia has ever managed it, to my knowledge. So <laughs> if, 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 if you think Ed Brett against... Australia's calendar milling. If you think it can happen, yeah, I'd put I'd put pints for the rest yeah. of for the rest of my Quidditch life on that. I'm putting my money on that. 
Um, if they play against each other and add Brett does one tackle against that, this guy and he takes him down, I'm putting my money on that. <laughs> if, yeah. if it doesn't happen at the tournament, I want an arm wrestle at the social. <laughs> yes. That's at least got to happen. <laughs> well, no, boat, boat races is what's been happening. That's what the, uh, the Scottish team have been training for. So all the Still pints, really down in pint boat races. So guys, practice your practice your pints. Got a couple, got a week left to train. Practice your gag reflexes because Team Scotland are ready. We may not win the tournament, but we will definitely win the bevs. <laughs> <laughs> we'll all come Fantastic. with pints of whiskey just to flex on you. <laughs> and on that note, we'll wrap up. Um, yeah, lots to be excited about. Um, and yeah, Suzanne Jandals, this has been fantastic a nice kind of light-hearted look into the tournament and uh i'm now really excited i, I can't wait uh, thank you very much for spending this evening with me it's been been a pleasure thanks a lot for having me fraser it was a lot of fun <laughs> thanks so much again fraser it's a pleasure as always mm -hmm. yeah glad that you could both join me and uh talk about european games ireland here we come for round two Woo! um yeah, we hope you, the listeners, have enjoyed this episode of the podcast. If you want to stay up to date with future episodes, please give the Total Glitch Facebook page a like. We'll be announcing upcoming guests on there and, of course, giving you a chance to send in your mailbag questions for our guests as and when we require them. Uh, until next time, keep yourselves safe and live the game. Goodbye. <laughs>